Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey everybody, Around the Coin is sponsored today by Otter. Otter, spelled O-T-T-E-R, like the little animal, helps tech companies hire talented and inexpensive software developers. If you work at a tech company that's looking for developers, hit up HireOtter.com. Otter specializes in recruiting developers from Argentina because they have a similar time zone, favorable currency exchange rate, and they just have amazingly talented people down there. The rates are super inexpensive from 35 to 50 an hour. So whether it's PHP or Go, JavaScript, iOS, Java, mobile, whatever, hit up HireOtter.com to find a great software developer today. We also have the show sponsored by Redeem, spelled R-E-D-Triple-E-M. And Redeem is the safest place to trade Bitcoin for discounted gift cards or vice versa. Whether you've got gift cards, you want to trade for Bitcoin, or you want to save 20% or more on discounted gift cards from your favorite retailers like Amazon, Walmart, eBay, Best Buy, and dozens of others, check out Redeem, R-E-D-E-E-M dot com to start trading today. And on with the show. All right, we're back with another show. We have Yuba Youngbloom, the founder of Automatic and Hometown. Uh, I'm excited to dive into this show in particular with so much going on in the world. Um, Yuba, I want to start off with a question for you. Uh, let's see where to take it first. Uh, what, what would you do if you were the current CEO of the New York Times? What moves would you make? Um, that's... That's a really good question, but it's honestly one that I'm not particularly equipped to answer. I, the reason is that I work right now in local news, in like local current events, local government issues, um, which are surprisingly different than the role that something like the New York Times has, I think, in the national conversation. A lot of the stuff that gets covered there, I think, um, obviously plays out at the local level, but I think the role as like the national news source of record. I think there's a there's an obligation to to sort of the country and the culture that I honestly don't have to spend too much of my time fretting about. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you view the shift? Uh, so let's give a little background on Home Team. So Home Team is a mobile app that takes the uh, news experience that was traditionally on newspapers and digitizes it for people to receive news in their local area. Is that how you would describe it? Something similar to that? 
Yeah, I mean, Hometown, um, we're a very early stage startup. We're still in like product market fit uh, discovery mode. Um, but Hometown does three things um, in principle. One is it aggregates news from basically every serious local news source possible and organizes it into a way that allows you to track it over time and then learn about the people and organizations that are involved, essentially the, the power players that make the news go. And then it helps, it helps you to actually get involved with those people and organizations so that you don't just read the news, you can actually affect the news. The idea here being that people have a lot more power than they might think, especially at the local level, and that the way that traditional news organizations are structured and the traditional way that news content is structured is very passive, whereas we are taking a much more active approach from people's perspective to actually doing something with the information that they read. And what makes you think that people want to do something at all? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, to step back for just like a half a step, I, I think that oftentimes in, quote, social impact work or social impact startups, I've heard, a, you know, a million pitches um, in my work as a mentor, people tend to make the argument essentially that because something should be true or because people should do something, um, their product will succeed um, that helps people do that. I obviously am not coming from that perspective, but um, we have a few different, I think, lines of of thinking that bring us to that, to the conclusion that, yes, people probably do want to do something. Like one, the current political moment that we're in in the United States alone is really gotten people activated. I mean, you're seeing way, way more interest in government, in politics, and not just like online and social media. A lot more people are running for office. A lot more people are going to like community meetings and stuff. And a lot more people, I think, are expressing in surveys like by Pew and other places, frustration about feeling powerless, frustration about the current situation. Um, and this is on, by the way, on both sides of, of kind of the political spectrum, um, generally, people are, are dissatisfied. And then there are other kind of trends that that suggest things related to that. Like people my age, I'm 37, um, are starting to settle down. But because we've been moving around a lot, you know, for our careers and, and living in places that we don't plan to settle, we don't really know what's going on. And so there's this growing sense of alienation and frustration of like, where am I? Like, what is this place? Like, what what's going on around me? Um, that we're seeing some frustration in too. And, and I don't think that like everyone is suddenly ready to, to like go like attend city council meetings, nor do I think that that's particularly needed. Um, you are seeing people willing to do like something from like starting from where they're at to, I don't know, to make where they live, to make the country more like the way they think it ought to be. Mm, yeah. What, what do you think drives the, like if you take a step back as the perspective on it, what do you think is driving this increased interest and activism uh, that we're seeing? And today, just to mention, is June 25th. Mm -hmm. There have been roughly two and a half, three months of quarantine in different parts of the country. And probably the last month or so, three, four weeks have been active protests Black Lives Matter, cops, there's a lot of different messages that are all intertwined together. But what do you think is the uh, motivating um, interest for that people have in getting involved in politics more generally over the last, say, two to eight years? I mean, it does seem to be a greater interest now than 
there was at any like decade, maybe not any, but many decades previous to where we are today. Certainly more than in my lifetime. Um, well, I can speak for myself to start. I mean, what motivated me to start Hometown after having a sort of more successful than I had a planned career in tech and startups um, was the election of Donald Trump. There was the sense after eight years of Obama for me that like, oh my God, no one is minding the store. Like this is not how things are supposed to go. And we were kind of on this, on this path and, 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 and it's hard, it feels like ancient history now, but Donald Trump felt like a, the campaign felt like a blip, um, a prolonged one, but like one that was going to pass and then things would get back to being, bad but you know like on the right track maybe um and then there was this just sense of like the bottom falling out and suddenly i felt like oh shit i need to do something like actually do Mm -hmm. something um and prior to that i mean i worked at uh, i co-founded automatic labs it was this connected car internet of things startup we made a little device that plugs into your car and reports on how it's performing and how well you drive and helps you yeah i have one I, i use it i love that thing well, you don't anymore because the company. I know they us, they shut down. <laughs> yeah, um, citing the pandemic um, is the reason that they shut down the the division. But yeah, so SiriusXM um, acquired us in April 2017, uh, and I I decided for a number of reasons that that wasn't where I was going to be able to do my best work. But after taking some time, realized that like oh. I've learned a ton about product design, about building teams and building companies, and what should I do with that? And after a brief stint in Eastern Europe mentoring other entrepreneurs, I came back looking for something really meaty to to sink my teeth into and like big societal problems. And I'm an ambitious person by nature, and and um, that's not necessarily everyone's path, but I... I wanted to use my skills for something like directly that mattered. Um, and a lot of tech company folk, I know that we, we look at impact and we look at how many people use our products. And, um, but I think a lot of people like me are, are starting to reevaluate how they spend their time. I mean, our work, our careers are the, are the way that we have the biggest impact on the world, right? Like you can work a, a job nine to five and then volunteer for an hour or two a week. But if you can make the thing you do for your job, directly make the world better in some way and make a living doing it, then that's way, way more impactful. So that's what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of other people are feeling the same way. It took me it was a long time, months and months and months to to land on on founding Hometown. It was really hard decision to make. And you wait, you want to make a local news startup? Like what? It's like news is dying. Um I've I've seen and heard other people trying to make this career transition, and it is a hard one. I would love for someone to write a guide um, on how to do it well, but I just think that the the structure of our economy and the structure of the places where you can bring the skills, like the ones that I have, like design, engineering, and so on, um, really guide you to more traditional tech company career opportunities. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think that um, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on? like politics, just because you've been living it for a while now, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically on the local level, do you, do you, what do you think is the the driving force behind the, the decline in trust that people have in institutions? (laughs) Just that. Um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, okay. My sense 
broadly, like at a national and international level, is that there's this sense that the institutions, expertise, right, like elite institutions, um, global capital, global finance, global industry has essentially left too many people behind. Um, and I think that there's also been a kind of demographic and ideological shift in the country where, um, oh, my computer just went to sleep. You're still good on this side. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Um, I think there's been an ideological shift in the country where like you have people living in cities, like a kind of cosmopolitan culture, and then essentially everyone else, um, and those institutions tend to be centered in cities and there's a, there's kind of a distrust and resentment of one group to the other. Um, but this has been happening, right, for decades, right? Institutions are, are um, have been less and less trusted. And you're seeing that especially on like national news sources. Local news sources, on the other hand, tend to be, and local institutions tend to be trusted a lot more than the national ones. Um, and I think that's really, really interesting. I don't, I don't know any studies that, that say why, but... So I think there's just a general sense that like, you know, the people a little bit better. Um, not, not most of them. Most of us probably can't name our city councilor, but you probably know or have like some feelings about your mayor um, one mm. way or the other. And um, I think that those are the kinds of relationships that hometown is trying to, to kind of rebuild and foster because mm. like I said, most people don't know, but it's not that hard to learn. Um, it, it shouldn't be that hard to learn rather. Hmm. Um, and these people are like directly, directly responsible to you. Like my city councilor represents a district of Oakland, California, um, of like 50,000 people. That's it. 50,000 people. Um, I've met with him for coffee, right? You can go to his office hours. Like these are, these are things that you can do. Um, but generally like we've just lost touch. I think that, that the, institutions especially public institutions ones that that are responsible for like us collectively either as a city or as a state or a country kind of just haven't been invested in it's just not a thing we've we've put kind of energy or kind of cultural capital behind for a really long time and i think that we're seeing the results of that yeah yeah and in some ways just the the attention has been uh we've sort of just checked that off like oh we figured out uh, higher education and we figured out company structures or, and then, and then they just kind of grow. Like I heard, I forget where I heard this, but the idea that initially organizations start as serving the customers as their number one priority, but eventually they get to this point where uh, sustaining their existence becomes a priority over serving their customers. And like, to me, one example of this would be the insurance, co- health insurance companies that mm-hmm. they, they service their, they, they bill say employers and they provide insurance, but the employer pays for the insurance. And then so much of the money that the health insurance companies make goes towards lobbying politicians, which effectively just keep them where they are. So it's like, it's like a, it's like a leech to the system to some degree because they're not they're not uh, their their incentive structure for their value chain is not ending at the person spending money, and so it's almost like these systems have an, a natural leaning towards exploiting the rules of the game, which in our case the rules are the governmental laws, <clears throat> and the mm-hmm. rules are not the rule makers aren't perfect. They're you know vulnerable to uh, uh, 
corruption is a strong word, but, you know, legal corruption, like, hey, if you make this law change, you know, we're, we're going to consider you for this private, uh, private uh, uh, executive position when your term is over. And there's that kind of um, bribery, so to speak. Uh, but it, it's many of much of it is not illegal. So it's difficult to parse out and I think mm-hmm. that is just the natural um, system where it become it becomes so efficient that it becomes inefficient. Uh, something I think I think that that line of thinking is at the root of a lot of the the major challenges that we see in society today. Um, I think that that I think that's right. But it reminds me of a quote by Walt Disney a long, long time ago about we don't um, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make, so we can make movies um, and like spoken like a, like a visionary, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I, I I put Steve Jobs as Apple in, in that same kind of category. I think that um, that becomes much, much harder to do the larger you get and the more power you have, the more power you have to wield over the rules of the game in which you play. Right. And um, that's where you get into essentially like anti-competitive behavior, which Mm -hmm. is, is a form of corruption. Right. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's illegal, but I think the question that we should be asking ourselves as like as a people is: Is this the society we want? Right? Are are we um, building the let's say the public institutions that can then check private interests or, or check private corruption? And again, this this ties into a um, broadly shared view that public institutions shouldn't really be invested in. Um, and they're not something that we particularly take pride in in the United States. I think that the institutions that we take pride in in the United States are corporations, brands, um, much, much more so than than in the public institutions. Like who mm. looks at the at the post office with pride? Right. Um, but when when Tesla, not Tesla, sorry, when SpaceX launched a rocket, like we feel national pride at this at this, you know, corporation's achievement. Um, and I think that that's been kind of a, a subtle but very profound shift in just our kind of collective imagination in the United States. Like, what does it mean to be American? Yeah. What does it mean to take pride in in one's own place? Yeah. What do you think it is? Like, what do you think the, you know, I think the only way people can identify the the, the group that they're in is to have a, a counter value system from with some other group. And mm-hmm. I, I have this I have this belief that's growing that the America a few hundred years ago differentiated itself by being the place where economic opportunity prospers. So people come from all over the world to start businesses, um, particularly in times when economies weren't so good. And the free market capitalism allows for people to directly service each other. Free exchange uh, flourishes. Business flourish. We become the strongest economy in the world. And and we have a few unique things at the time, which were freedom to say whatever you want and freedom to have a gun. And we removed slavery. And there's you know a few others, but really I think individual identities and group identities, they're really like one thing, maybe two things. Beyond that, people can't keep track. So, you know, the United States is you can say whatever you want and you can have a gun. That's That was, you know, <laughs> rule number one, rule number two. And- and we stuck strong to at least rule number one. But and that no one's going to stop you from getting as rich as you want. Like that's that's also yeah. like a very American value. Yeah. Yeah. Although being questioned today, I'd argue. Uh, but as soon as other countries said, hey, you know what? America's got a good idea there with the freedom of speech. 
let's enact that. So most of the Western world today is, is pretty free. I mean, you have to really stretch it to find areas where you can't express yourself in most of Europe and other places. And so I, I, I think the, identif- the unique identity that America has kind of div- dissolved when other countries uh, embodied those same values. And, and, I, and I wonder if the need to feel a part of a group as opposed to another group is the reason why America has become divided because we need an, an other, someone to compare yourself to so you know who you are. And so that becomes the party that you're in. You know, I'm a left or I'm a right. And you identify with those in comparison. Um, but one thing I want to ask you about is why doesn't that happen on the local level? Like, why, why don't I assume the identity of uh, a Los Angeles or I live in Boston now, but a Boston and people do when it comes to sports, I'd say. For sure. But beyond that, they, they I, I don't know. Do you see that as being something that comes up in the, in the news or in the local news on hometown? Or have you seen I, that identity grow? I think you put your finger on it with the sports thing, right? Like um, the reason I think that we feel that strong association with our local sports team is because there is an other. There is a, there is a natural opponent, um, right? And, and sports teams are tied to a place. Um, I think this is not probably the greatest human value that we tend to be our best and most collective and cooperative when we have an enemy, um, a shared enemy, but um, even if it's like an imaginary one, like in sports. Um, And I think that it's just, it seems to be a fact of human nature, at least so far that without that, we tend to have a harder time. I don't think it's impossible, by the way. Um, I think having Mm -hmm. a collective struggle and a collective purpose is something that, that can unify a people, even if that struggle is um, not against a particular other person. I think that coronavirus was a just monumental missed opportunity to unite the country around a common purpose and a common struggle. There was no way we were going to get through this without a lot of pain. And there was just, there just, it just didn't happen, right? Like there was not an effort to turn this into our you know, Manhattan Project moment or turn this into our World War II moment or our space race moment. Like this is just fell down on our face with this um, nationally. And it's made me question, like, what the hell does it even mean to be an American? Um, Like if you, I remember as a kid, like hearing about stories about people getting like abducted in foreign countries in the Middle East or someplace. And then you'd see movies about like, you know, the American government would like would basically move heaven and earth to rescue this one person at, at enormous cost, because that's what it meant to be an American, right? If you, if you were taken hostage in a foreign country, like you were going to be, you're going to be rescued because you're a, you're an American. Mm. Right. And like now, like if you're an American, you get to like get coronavirus and not know it, like not know that you have it and are spreading it around. Right. Mm. Like, and, and like there. I know that a lot of people are sad, but I guess I've, I've heard it in a few places and I'm feeling this right now, this sense of like, oh, well, what does it even mean to be an American if it doesn't guarantee you or at least increase your odds of a good, safe, happy, productive life? Like, what's it all for? Um, and I think speaking of, of sort of disillusionment with institutions and in the, in the kind of decay of our public institutions is like, well, that's what, that's their job, right? Their job isn't to just rah, rah, and isn't just to make money for, for owners, but is presumably like to actually make our lives better. And, and if they're not doing that, then like, I'm not going to be all that excited about them. And I yeah. think that that yeah. is why at a local level, um, 
because we're local as we're well, the rubber hits the road, right? Like the streets are either bumpy or they're not. Um, the trash is either picked up or it's not. Um, and, and so there are, there's a way in which at the local level, um, party polarization um, and kind of, I, I don't want to say identity, but like ideological differences have to play out a lot more concretely. And we're seeing this right now around the, the police um, protests and the calls to defund the police and to reform the police and to replace the police with other forms of like civic intervention staff. And um, you see this really interesting thing happening in the translation from social media memes um, to actual policy requests and like policy demands. Mm-hmm. And the really messy translation that that's going on because it's simply not the case, for example, that Oakland spends like 50% of its budget on police. Like it, it's just not true. Oakland has lots of problems with its police, by the way, specifically around like um, mistreatment of people. Um, it, it's been under federal oversight for, for like two decades because a bunch of police officers did some really, really bad stuff and like framing people. Like it was bad. Um hmm. And a lot of the usual police misconduct, especially um, like racially biased police conduct and mistreatment, like all that happens in Oakland, obviously. Um, but Oakland also doesn't spend that much on its police. And um, there, are, if you read, for example, uh, there have been these great Reddit AMAs by a police officer just kind of talking about the inside of what it's like um, and what it's like to be hated by everyone, like long before the George mm-hmm. Floyd protests and like the kind of talent that they can attract. Like nobody wants to be a police officer in Oakland, evidently. Um, and it's, it's harder to attract good police officers. And like, this is not, this doesn't take anything away from the, from the like justified complaints and like rethinking of what, you know, what state um, law enforcement should be able to do and how it should be held accountable. All of that is true, but also police departments and all civic, you know, city departments are like jobs, right? With bosses and employees and policies and cultures. And it's, it's just simply not enough to, to say defund the police and call it a day because like bad Mm -hmm. stuff will happen in all kinds of comp. It's just more complicated than that. And hometown, I think, if we can deliver something into this to this problem is to create a place to hold that complexity in a way that allows you to just like catch up on a story, dig into the parts that really matter to you at the time that you actually care, not because you're interested in police reform academically, but because right now something is happening. And right now is the time to like listen to this interview by a police officer or listen to this interview or read this article by a Black Lives Matter activist or listen to uh, an excerpt from a book of someone who's been writing about police reform for 30 years. Like now is the time to educate yourself on the specifics because that's what ultimately changes the place you live, the city you live in is like the actual laws that actually get passed. Um, Slogans like can whip people up. And I think that's really important an important part of like democracy working, but it's the kind of the back half of the hard work and the details that hometown is trying to make more accessible to people so that more people can actually get involved in a, in a more like rubber hits the road way. Mm, Yeah. What is the percentage you mentioned? It's not 50%. Do you know what the Oakland spends on police by 
uh, percentage of their total budget and what Off their total the top budget of my head, it's it's 40 percent of the general budget of like the general fund which is like a third mm-hmm. of the total budget um so it's it's not it's not like in some stats you've seen in other cities like it's like 50 percent of their budget in some um or something something to keep in mind too when you just a quick warning some city budgets uh pay for schools others don't and so that'll be a big, big line item that will either be part of the total or won't be part of the total that will throw off your your sense of how much money people um, or cities spend on on um, on police. Oakland, for example, the city tends not to spend money on schools. There's a separate school district that collects taxes and and pays for schools. Yeah, that's interesting. What what do most people on hometown? Uh, what what topics do they tend to engage with? So if I'm engaging on my local level, what what am, what am I likely to be interested in? Yeah, so it's a it's a really really interesting mix, and it's something that we're still learning about. So hometown, um, we have a, a unique news format called a news guide, which organizes a particular news story over time. It basically lets you follow, like you would follow a Twitter account, you're following a specific news story, um, and that news story has like a, a little gallery of the people involved in, in organizations, a timeline of all the news events that have led up to the current situation. Um, and then a section of like what we call broader perspectives, which are like opinion pieces from various, say, national news outlets that help to put the local story into context. And this format is super, super efficient for us because we're, we're doing a mix of aggregation and original writing um, and allows us to put them together really, really quickly and then add to them over time and so the URL stays the same and we people can be notified whenever there's something new, which allows them to keep up on it as, as stories develop. And local stories tend to develop relatively slowly. And we cover everything from like the city council is going to have to cut its budget because of, of COVID, right? Um, and what exactly is going to get cut and what the impacts of that are going to be. Like the the, the headline budget cuts, ugh, that just is depressing and it sounds complicated. But if you stick with it, which hometown makes easy, um, you can start to be part of the conversation of what gets cut and why and what's the city going to do um, differently to, 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 you know, to weather the storm. Um, all the way down to like really hyper local stuff. So I live in a neighborhood called Timescal in North Oakland and um We've been covering the repaving of the main stretch of, of the road through the neighborhood called Telegraph Avenue. And they're putting in new bike lanes and the street was like terribly potholed, like like dirt road quality in some spots. Um, <laughs> and it's been like six years in the making. And, and the issue of like, wait, but like, are we going to lose parking? And is that going to affect local businesses? And are they going to have to move out because they don't get as much car traffic because we're losing parallel parking? Like these are things that like, don't matter to you if they aren't in your neighborhood, right? Like the same story half a mile away wouldn't be nearly as interesting to me, but I know all these businesses. I walk on the street nearly every single day, unless now, but um, you know, in the before times, like I care about this place because it's, it's just a stone's throw from where I live. And so what we, what we learned is that people really care about the quote boring stuff when it's really close to them. This, this guide yeah. uh, about this repaving is the single most followed guide in in hometown. Um, oh yeah, that doesn't surprise me. If it affects somebody's commute time, then they will uh, they will join the rampage. <laughs> yeah, and like there, there was this. 
<laughs> yeah, it reminds me. I, I, I lived in uh, Playa del Rey for a few years in uh, Southern California in Los Angeles. And there was a two lane road that most people would go from like Manhattan Beach, which is south of LAX airport to say Santa Monica. And it was a very popular route for commuters. And uh, the local councilman, uh, he took it from a two lane road and put it into one lane, ro- one lane on each side and mm-hmm. put bike lanes, which is, sounds great. But then of course, congestion happens on the commute and people go crazy. I've, I, this is the, really the only local news source uh, story that I, that I intimately followed, but the, the amount of passion that people displayed was like, you would think we're going to world war three about a bike lane. And so it was, it, it almost seemed like a long game from the councilman to say, he wanted to have something done to make his constituents happy. And it's almost like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a worst case scenario, which is one lane each direction. So that when I go uh, one lane on one side and two lanes on the other, and I build a bike path on one side, then you feel that it's a, then, then both parties feel good about it. <laughs> and it almost took unnecessary construction work to get to a place where people felt good. And yeah, it definitely didn't feel like an ideal way to do it, but I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's just politics. It's a it's a really really important point, um, which is how do the people who represent us communicate what they're doing? And there's a huge communication gap because if you think about local news traditionally, so like your local newspaper or maybe like people on Twitter, um, it's there just aren't that many sources anymore. But to the extent that there are any, it tends to focus on newsworthy things, right? I put that in air quotes. Um, things, and, and usually that means things that are bad, right? Something bad mm-hmm. happened. And I'm a user experience designer by training, right? Like this is just sort of how I see the world. And while I am absolutely positive, spent the last year studying um, how newsrooms work. And while I'm absolutely positive that the intention of anybody writing stories about corruption or about um, like problems with this or that program in the city, um, they're trying to draw attention to something so that things can get better. I get it. Like that's, that's important. But the, the end result for the user is just this sense that like everything sucks. Like everything. Is new? Sucks. I mean, do, do you think that's been going on for hundreds or thousands of years that just, yes that, and that, no. that. what's, what's new is that the newspaper got unbundled, the internet unbundled the newspaper. And so even though in, in say a traditional paper newspaper, you know, up until like the nineties, um, you had to kind of at least glance at most of the stuff, right? Like you, you, you couldn't avoid it because it was getting packaged up together, but then, um, news articles got completely unbundled and they got shared individually and they got tracked and, you know, instrumented for analytics purposes individually, and they got ads placed to them individually. And eventually it just became this thing where you can't control the overall experience anymore, right? Like newspapers, news, news publishers lost control of distribution. And so Mm -hmm. they, they, they gave distribution away essentially to Facebook and Google. Um, and their job was now just writing the words. And the overall experience though, is heavily influenced by the distribution method that the content has. Um, and so like, you know, by contrast, you have Netflix, right? Where they control distribution and the content. And so they can control the the variety of shows and movies that they present to you to change the mood or lighten it up or make, you know, like, or make it thematic, but 
but a lot of the content that's read that's published by news organizations isn't read on their own site or isn't discovered rather on their own site and that's an important insight about hometown is that if you want to do anything new or innovative in news or content i think you have to own the channel of distribution um, and we we see this with say the athletic uh, which is a subscription hard paywall mm-hmm. news app um, for, for sports um, news and opinion um, and a lot of the kind of the indie publishers, like the Stratechories of the world, um, where like you just pay them and they give stuff to you. Um, and I think there's really, really interesting um, implications for the business model for Hometown, really interesting implications about sort of the industry that basically their distribution model got destroyed by the Internet, and but they didn't adjust their business model to compensate. Stratechery? Yeah. Strategery? I think it's Stratechery. But Ben Thompson's um, newsletter blog. Oh, interesting. Did you follow the uh, Slate Star Codex recent drama? No, totally missed uh, it. It was, uh, so are you familiar with that blog? No, I'm not. Oh, yeah, it's fairly popular. Um, well, actually, it's the number one. <laughs> it's interesting. He he really took it down. So it's uh, Slate Star Codex is a popular blog written by an anonymous uh, psychologist, I believe. And it's pretty nuanced and it can be confrontational, although it seeks to be truthful. Um, they with New York times reached out to them and said that they wanted to do an article on slate star. And uh, apparently they, the New York times, someone from the New York times, uh, doxed or attempted to dox the, uh, the, the writer, the blogger behind slate star codex blog. And, he apparently, if if they had released his name um, and his identity, and I don't think they have yet, but if they had, then he would have been in jeopardy of losing his job. And, you know, uh, it was like a core part of why he started it. So he took down the whole blog, like hundreds of articles over many, many years, and basically said that the, the mainstream media companies are uh, doing everything they possibly can to survive by trying to destroy other other forms of media out there. And it really painted a fairly grave picture of the New York times and other mainstream media um, companies in their desperate attempts to stay alive. And, uh, and and that seems to be a, you know, popular accepted idea now that the mainstream news quality is decreasing rapidly to almost just, just like bare bones uh, article formation, as opposed to real journalism and, you know, that's one of Trump's favorite slogans is fake news. And of course, there's some element of truth there, which is they don't have the budget to do the, the journalism that they used to because of the monetization structure, um, you know, has, has led to declining revenues for these companies. And we're just sort of left with a lack of companies out there that can really do deep journalism. And it seems like the Quillette and some other organizations are, are coming up, but I don't know. I mean, do you see, do you, I guess, is, is this a play for home team to allow another revenue channel for sophisticated journaling on maybe just a local level? Have, have you thought about how, like maybe reinventing the business model or the revenue models for these um, writers? Absolutely. I mean, that's a big part of what hometown is about. And we, um, I, I draw a pretty sharp distinction between local and say state and national. Um, I think that there is a world where people have a New York Times subscription and then they have a subscription to hometown. I'll tell you why a subscription in a second. Um, 
because those are just really not overlapping um, products. They're they're just they serve a different purpose in your life. Um, when we when we were at the drawing board for hometown, it was and we we're thinking, okay, well, we need to do news, but like, why are we doing news? Like, what's our what's our mission at all? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? A question I think a lot of organizations that have talked to don't um, don't ask themselves often enough or seriously enough or take the implications of enough. But the single purpose of Hometown's existence, like why am I doing this, um, along with my co-founder, Rick, is to help people claim their democratic power and to show up with that power to make the place they live better. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. now, how do you do that? Right. Like, like, like that's what I want to do in the world. Um, how do you do that? Well, you could make a site where people go log on to and then they can vote up or down city, city council agenda items that exists. No one uses it. OK, so like you can make a thing and it would be great if people use it, but they don't. So you got to think of something else. All right. Well, can we can we piggyback um, our goal? Right. Which is like civic participation on a behavior that people do already. Uh, maybe that's a better approach. And what do people do already that's related to this? Well, they read the news. Um, but reading the news isn't enough uh, for a lot of reasons. A lot of news reading is passive. A lot of it is kind of just for entertainment. I mean, think about think about what you actually do with the news that you read. Like, to a first approximation, it's nothing. Like, maybe you talk to someone else about it. Um, maybe it changes it's your opinion. It's really rarely actionable right so it's typically yeah. entertainment yeah it's 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 entertainment but i don't i don't mean to d- disparage that kind of news mm-hmm. writing i read a ton of things that help me think differently that teach me things it's educational um it broadens my perspectives but it's you know if, if i read an article about i don't know um why the post office shouldn't be defunded or why it'd be a really good idea to like transition all of the the um the post office trucks, the delivery trucks to electric, to an electric fleet. Like, that's really cool. Like, I really enjoyed reading that article, but like, <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. Like, nothing is going to change in the world because I read that. Um, and so because our mission, right, is to people actually doing something, um, then we have to like think very hard about the content. We have to think really hard about the um, the user experience. And so that's where we, that's basically what I'm describing is a product strategy. Like, what is the product strategy that aligns with that mission? And in our case, it's a product strategy that keeps people up on stories, on the news, um, the news that they can actually do something about, hence the focus on the hyper-local, neighborhood-level stuff, and city stuff. Um, It has to then be something that accounts for the fact that most of those stories develop really slowly over time. So that's why we have, we don't do articles. We have these news guides that are like an in-place page, kind of like a wiki page where they get updated over time and you can tap to follow them and you'll get notified of new things that happen. Um, It's why we have to teach you along the way, like who your city councilor is and like what they actually do. Um, And it's also why we then have to introduce you to the organizations and individuals who have power, who are already doing work um, on that particular news item so that you can hitch your, you know, hitch your wagon, right, to them mm-hmm. if it's a thing that you care enough about. And so it's it's about guiding people from, like, reading the news that they might catch on Facebook to instead keeping up on the things that actually matter to them nearby, like the street repaving. Um, alerting them to things like, hey, there's a survey about this particular repaving. You should fill it out. 
hey, it's small, but you did something, right? To, hey, there's a volunteer opportunity to, I don't know, like promote what's happening and hand out flyers about it. Um, that's not for everybody, but maybe if you filled out a survey and you care about this, maybe you'd do that with a few friends. And it's up to us to figure out a way to make that like fun and accessible to people working on it. Um, but it's, it's all about meeting people where they're at, right? And then helping them take that next step of knowing a little more, of getting a little bit more involved. But if you're doing that, right, that's your product strategy, then you need a business model that goes with that. Um, and so the product strategy involves a kind of relationship with your customer, a relationship with your user um, over a long period of time. And we've seen, there's lots of different business models that you could try, but but what Hometown is thinking right now, we're still free right now, um, is to go with a freemium subscription model, um, where like Spotify, where you can get access to some things for free, um, probably all the content, but you can access different features or maybe timeliness of content um, with a premium subscription. Because if you make people feel good, if you make people feel like they belong, if you make people feel empowered and you have a relationship with them by, by dint of your product strategy, a subscription business model is far more likely to feel appropriate because they want to support what you're doing. They want to keep coming back to it versus say an ad-based business model where I think you fall into a bit of a, um, a trap of, of misaligned incentives where you have to like keep bringing them back to get those page views. But what are you doing to do that, right? You end up, I think, getting drawn to clickbait territory, which then weakens the customer relationship and then weakens your ability to achieve your mission. So that, um, that alignment between mission, product strategy, and business model is something that we've gone around and around on and still are, right? As the product changes, um, so, so too must we like reconsider the business model, at least make sure that it all still fits. But that's mm -hmm. something I think, to get back to your original question, um, that's something that I think a lot of news organizations just haven't stepped back to do. Um, and to really question the kind of fundamental assumptions are like, what are they here for? What is the product that they're that they're delivering? And how well does that fit with the way that they can make money? I think so many news organizations do such good work, but they are in like life support survival mode. You can't step back yeah. and ask yourself how uh, to rethink things when when you're like suffocating, right? When yeah. you're in a scarcity yeah. mindset, it's just impossible. Like it's, it's human nature. And so... Um, I think that we have a bit of an advantage by starting fresh. I think we have a bit of an advantage by coming from tech and seeing different ways of solving problems. Um, but we also have to like catch up on everything that they know, which is like how to run a newsroom and editorial standards and ethics and journalism and all of that. Um, so which is why we're, we hired a writer with a degree in journalism. And, and so building out that team from the other direction is, has been our challenge. But um, that's really how we think about this space. And it's just been amazing to see how little of that thinking has been happening in working newsrooms today, especially at the local. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I congrats on all the progress. This is really, I think an amazing um, instrument that should exist for, for communities, all over the country and world. One thing that came to mind was um, I think I'm just running riffing on this idea, but part of the reason why uh, the national news is so interesting is because it's it's the it's on the biggest possible scale and the ideas ripple down to the local level. But one 
other aspect of it that makes it interesting is that there's a polarity involved, that there is a debate actively happening and that people, there's almost like a hierarchy uh, as represented by Twitter followers or Instagram followers or YouTube thumbs ups. And we can, we can start to see who the voices of the, the, of the opposing views are. Mm -hmm. And then you, you effectively support those people. So you're not directly in the national level, you're not directly supporting uh, per se, the politicians, because the politicians are largely following what the leaders of the community of their of their group or tribe are saying, and so uh, it's I, I see it as like this bifurcation of individual constituents. Uh, most people have to just most people just consume the content that the thought leaders we'll call them thought leaders on these on, on the two different sides of a debate are having, and then you support those people. And the politicians largely don't engage actively in sophisticated debate. I mean, I, I think that that's not fundamental to democracy, but to me, it just represents the, the relatively poor quality of sophisticated thinkers we have in office. But I do see a lot of people that are t- taking uh, taking an analysis position, maybe a journalist position, you could say, um, and they are the ones that are growing in traction and seem to be accumulating the uh, the use the the followers, and I don't see that on a, on a local level. I don't see the polarity. I don't see the debates happening uh, because the debates is where it's interesting. You know, the tip of the spear of the decisions of a community is what's interesting. If there's no decision, if there's no action step or fork in the road, so to speak, it it doesn't doesn't grip you. It's like, hey, people went out and you know they they did a community volunteer fair or they they paved the streets it's like that's news and that's cool it's nice to be aware but ultimately i feel there's something to be said for generating the same or similar sort of hierarchical structure of the contributors on a local level to the politicians because now there's a councilman or a mayor like you said and they may make a decision but where are they where are they taking a seat and actively debating someone uh, about a decision to do something. Um, and I wonder, I don't know if you guys have thought about building a, like a video debate platform or in some way facilitating or instigating a yeah. debate or polarity on a local level. Cause once, once there's two sides that oppose each other as to what they should do and they're organized and they have a front runner who can speak coherently, then I think there's just immediate interest in that. Um, but there just doesn't seem to be that level of electricity on a local level. I don't know. There's definitely, there's, there's a lot there. Um, just to, in a few assorted points, the, there's definitely the case. It's definitely the case that there isn't the drama. Um, and yeah, the, the drama. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean that in like, like reality TV drama. What I mean is like right, a, right, right. a dramatization the of the stakes, right. And what's going on and of the characters involved and, um, and, and that's actually one of the things that Hometown does. We, we have this section, uh, it's called Who's Involved. Uh, internally, we used to call them our cast of characters, but it was like, who are the people? Like, who are the people and what are they, what's right. their deal? Um, and so every, every news guide on every story has a who's involved section and there's a little blurb about them and you can learn more about them. And it's like, okay, so the mayor's involved and here's how, and like the police department's involved and then this organization has, has been fighting and like uh, for, the, for this right forever, like you can... By just setting up the the cast of characters, um, it really helps to, I hope not necessarily polarize, but to illustrate that like, draw interest. Are, 
yeah, there's there's yeah. there are interests here. It's not an intellectual debate. It is a like it is actual human beings that actually want stuff. And sometimes that stuff is in conflict with each other. Um, the rest of our news format, though, I think touches on another part of that, which is exposing complexity. I think I think you're right that we don't spend nearly as much time trying to convince each other of things um, as much as we do trying to like whip yeah, each other up into kind of a, a frenzy about things. Um, but one of the one of the best ways I've ever heard to try to convince someone isn't to make your point, but simply to show people that things are more complicated than they currently think. Huh. And try it next time. You're, try next time you're arguing with someone about anything. And instead of trying to make them believe the thing you think is true, simply make them aware of things they don't know about the issue. And then let them try what will typically happen, I think, in, a, in an honest kind of conversation will be that someone will have to then rethink their position themselves based on the new information you've told them. Um, and they don't feel threatened by someone else saying to them, you should believe this. And this can have, we, like, it is a rich opportunity in local news because nobody knows anything about, about how local government works, <laughs> right? It's like either, like, either blue lives matter or police are all pigs. And it's like, ugh, like they're, yeah. that's not enough, right? Like, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. If your, goal is to, if your goal is to save lives, if your goal is to create safer communities where people don't feel harassed, if your goal is to create, you know, um, systems of, of local government that enforce the laws and protect people from harm, right? Like you, you have to think about all, all like the ingredients that you need to do that. Um, and, and a hardline position of slogans just isn't going to get you all the way there. Um, and it's not going to convince yeah. anybody. And so yeah. hometown is nonpartisan for that reason. Like it's not our goal to convince anybody. Our goal is to lay out all the stuff in a scalable way from like a business perspective, but in a, in a way that makes you go, huh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, and that, and then draws you in to actually like do something, even a little something um, that you can yeah. feel good about. And if we do that enough, and if we can ratchet that up over time, then I think really interesting things kind of fall out of that. And again, I, I have my own policy opinions about how things should be, including the police. But I think like the thing that guides us is like democracy is a pretty good idea, um, but you have to actually invest in it for it to work. Um, and you need people to know stuff. You need people to be empowered, to participate. Um, and while that is a lofty goal, we'll never like totally achieve. And I don't think should be the job of a single you know, uh, organization to, to do. Um, that's the that's the job that we want to like help move along. And if we can, I think, encode those values in a product and in a business, um, I think a lot of good can come from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with with most of it. I think people want to live in a city that is safe and the roads are paved and the garbage is picked up. But I also think they, they, they want to be entertained and they want there to be some drama, something going on. It's almost just human nature to desire some progression or some, uh, some tension, some, some, somebody trying to fight for something and you support them and they overcome it and they get the local. Yeah. You want to, you want to root for your champion, right? Yeah. 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 And I think you, you, you guys bring transparency to that local drama. So whether it's like profiles of the individual people in office and you can like support them, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I really I, like that idea a lot. Yeah. 
That's a great way of putting it. I mean, imagine, imagine if you were asked to root for a, um, a sports team and you didn't know anything about them, right? Like this happens every Olympics. Like, why do you think they spend so much time doing those profiles of like that one? Oh yeah, you're right. right? That one like you know curler, right? Like who's been like <laughs> yeah. cur- curling in Arizona and like, um, but is now like oh yeah, another Olympics. one. It reminds me of uh, Apollo Antonono. I, I never, wa- I never even knew what speed skating was until they come on. They're like Apollo Antonono. I think that was his name. Yeah. It's similar, and it shows his whole bio, and his history, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my god, speed skating! I got to be a speed skater. This is the greatest sport on earth. And yeah, you're yeah. right. Attaching to the following the pe- the individual people is so. Absolutely. Yeah, there's something like, deeply about that. Absolutely, we're humans. We like humans. Like <laughs> we like we like yeah. stories about other humans. Um, that draws us in. Those things matter to us. And and um, again, I think that this is. I'm not saying that we have all the answers. Um, I think what I've what I've tried to describe here in this conversation is our approach to solving this problem, and um, kind of the, the elements that we think are true, uh, and that we have to find a way to like put together and like implement in a product and software that actually works and can be a successful business. Um, but, but like the, the law, the, the questions that we're asking, I think are so often kind of, there's an assumption in a lot of the minds of the people already doing this work. Um, and I'm really excited that like after a year of doing this, that we have come up with so many different approaches, um, and built Mm. quite a number of them and are seeing them work for people. And it's like, it's so obvious when you see it. Um, so voting in the platform. Like, can not I go in there yet. and vote for a specific, not, not legally voting, but like actually contribute my, my, my vote for some topic? Crowdsourcing um, is something we're just dipping our toes into. Just the other day, actually, um, we launched a, a new version of Hometown that allows you to ask a question in any one of our news guides. So on any story that we cover, you can ask a question. Um, and after it's been um, reviewed by us, the moderators, um, other people can upvote it. And it's a question to us. It's a question about the issue that we can then go and investigate if it gets enough upvotes. So we actually do the research, contact the electric rep, whatever it is, and it guides our reporting. It helps us to know what topics people care about. It helps us invest our our limited you know editorial resources researching the questions that people mm. most care about. And again, because a news guide stays put, um, anybody who comes back to it six months, a year later, when there's a new update, right, a new update in the story. Um, can can see the answer to that question, and the most upvoted ones uh, appear first. So it's a it's a it's a bit of an experiment for us right now, but it is the beginning of of users actually doing stuff in the app. Yeah, have you heard of the uh, Oxford style debate format? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, think that would be intelligence squared debates. I think is yeah, intelligence squared. Exactly. Yeah, I'm thinking if you took that idea and just kind of made made these there's something about i think it's an untapped um thing untapped area of development is the live video debate format mm-hmm. and it can be recorded and you watch it later but if it's like hey this is my councilman a debating councilman b on our solution to homelessness in venice and you know here let you know seven minutes for for jim seven minutes for amy and then they debate each other for seven minutes and then they each have seven minutes to closing remark and you can see what people vote on before you can see mm-hmm. what people vote on after so you can clearly see the swing and you would know you know if people watch the whole video um i, I don't know something about that i think is super interesting 
Totally, totally. It's um, it's a it's a really interesting format. I think that what it does, it does really well. What we've done, and we've explored a number of different approaches. We we had a an idea for a section of each news guide called "What's at Stake," uh, or "What's at Issue," um, and we kind of lay out the points that different people have. The problem sometimes is that there aren't clearly two sides to something. Sometimes there's like seven. Um, mm-hmm. And it, they aren't always clearly laid out. It's, it's not like, you know, the motion on the floor, right, is, you know, um, are police evil, right? <laughs> like, um, the, the, I think you can, you can structure a debate um, to be, like, to be um, simple and straightforward, but it, it doesn't always get at the whole issue. I think we would include debates like that, and, and we have. Um, but what we've decided to do instead for now is... Um, we have a section called Broader Perspectives where we pull in opinion pieces, videos, podcast episodes that are related to the topic. So let's say the hyperlocal issue of the protests, there has been really amazing writing done about police reform, about protesting, about looting, about um, cities that have tried to defund their police. Um, how did that go, right? And each one of those articles has a why we recommend this blurb, which is about which is us, hometown, saying to you, okay, if you're curious about a city that's tried to reform their police and the challenges they had doing that and the benefits of it, this is a good article for that. Or um, here's the clearest explanation of the Black Lives Matter protesters' demands for police reform, right? Like here's the, or here's the best argument for this position or the best argument for that position. Um, again, our goal here is to be a guide to the issues, the, the local issues. Um, rather than to try to convince you of anything. Because one, it's from a content perspective, it's simply not scalable. You can't, you can't build something that, that reads like a single coherent essay on something over time with like one person serving, you know, dozens of stories. Like you just can't do it. Um, so you have to do it in a more like atomized way where it's like bits of content come together and that users can then kind of um, choose their own adventure through it. But it also turns out that that's what people actually want too. Um, they want to glance over the thing that they already know and dig into the thing that might catch their eye. Um, and that might change what that is over time, depending on their mood or what else is happening. So um, it's a much more kind of choose your own adventure style user experience than it is a like sit down and read this like hour and a half long Atlantic essay about a particular topic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating, man. I, w- one last question, and I'll let you go. Uh, how, so, tell me if you could, in the most simplest way possible, how does the, my local government work? I mean, just going from not the complex version of it, but just the the office positions from, say, the the bottom, the lowest level representative to the mayor. We have assembly members, councilmen, go- yeah. uh, governors to be above the mayor. What are the yeah. various hierarchies that exist and they oversee? It's a little different in every city. This is the frustrating thing about it. Okay. Basically, um, the mayor is like the president of your city um, and the city council is like the Congress of your city. Um, and the city council, each person on the city council represents a particular chunk of land of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically they meet every once in a while, sometimes in smaller groups. They've got little teams uh, that are devoted to particular topics like um 
there's one in Oakland called the Life Enrichment Committee, right? And they, they focus on, on quality of life issues. Uh, they talk about a bunch of laws that they might want to pass. And if that smaller team decides, yep, this is a good idea, they bring it to the whole city council at their meeting, and then the whole city council will vote on it. And if the majority votes on it, it passes. The mayor is not usually involved unless they're like breaking a tie or something. Um, mm. What The mayor is the figurehead. Like the mayor is kind of the boss of all of the city departments. So like the city's got the police department and the parks department. The, the mayor is the CEO of the company that has all these different departments. Uh, and the departments do stuff. Um, and a lot of the policies about what like the departments are allowed to do are decided by the city council. Um, but not everything can be right. You can't make every pol- you can't make every like company decision by vote, you know, every, <laughs> every few months. So there's someone, um, who sits kind of next to the mayor, which most people don't know about, but should call the city administrator. And they're basically like the COO. They're like, they're the Tim Cook to Steve Jobs. Right. They're the they're the person who's like kind of quietly making everything go and making a lot of decisions that really matter on the ground. Um, And they're the ones in charge of the money and how it gets spent and like exactly um, how how the work gets done and prioritized. And so the, the mayor is much, much more of a figurehead than they are like in the trenches, doing the day-to-day, like stand-up meeting, hey, everybody, we're doing this today, you know? Um, that's the city administrator. Um, so it's kind of like a CEO, COO, kind of a, a division of responsibilities with the the city council being kind of like the, the corporate board, um, hmm. making kind of higher level decisions. Uh, yeah. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't, I didn't, I admit I'm not, um... I couldn't have told you with that level of sophistication what is what is going on. I know my council member, but how exactly he aggregates his constituent votes and ideas and then makes something happen is a little bit blurry. So yeah, that's that's interesting. I um, wouldn't expect anyone to know. I, I've asked this question <laughs> like any no, like did you learn local government in high school civics class? No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I learned no, I just learned the, the branches of the government from a federal perspective. Yeah. So like, how is this supposed to work? Like, we're all supposed to go and vote for somebody every two or four years, like at the local level. Like, like, and I even talked about like how you elect a judge. Like, who even knows? Like, nobody knows how this works because they were never taught. So like, mm-hmm. that's that's just, you know, like, I'm not going to even complain about it. That's just the world we live in, um, which is why I think we focus um, more and more on like kind of teaching you along the way, because it's just... Yeah, it's a it's a bit of an uphill climb because yeah. you you can't assume some knowledge there. Yeah, yeah. One thing I'll say too is I feel I, I try to take time and actually at least do a Google search of the person that I'm voting for in the uh, in the local level. But there's just so many people that I'm voting for on these uh, on these ele- elections. You have like maybe the presidential campaign that you vote for, and everyone advocates that you should vote. But then there's like 15 other people that you vote for, judges and. Um, all sorts of other mem- members. District. And yeah. 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 And I'm like, man, it would be great if you, I don't know if this is a play for home team, but to have a, a profile view of this person and then just like, here's what they support. Here's what they don't here. Here's where they're indifferent. Here's three minutes of them giving a, a bio on themselves. You know, I would spend the hour to watch those videos and, <laughs> you know, otherwise people just check boxes. I, I feel like of the half of the people that do vote in local elections, uh, probably 80% of those don't really know who they're voting for. So 
Yeah, I'm one of them. I mean, like, it's really, it's really, really hard. And to answer your question, like, absolutely. Like, that's the thing you can do again with software is that if you, if you're tracking who's involved in what stories, if you can show me the stories related to my city councilor, if you can roll up all the stories at the time elections come along, like what this person's been involved in, um, it's just, it's so obviously useful, right? Um, rather than like trying to cram for an election with like, which some people do, but it sucks. Um, and other people, you know, just don't have that kind of time or interest. It's, which is totally understandable yeah, too. Like, like democracy should be easier. It just should. Yeah, no, hey, but that's what technology steps in. Well, yeah, keep doing what you guys are doing. Amazing progress so far. Yuba Youngbloom, I really appreciate your time. Where can people, you can download the app at Hometown in the App Store, iOS and Android. Yep. Uh, where can people reach you or the company if they uh, feel passionate about these these topics? Yeah, they can reach us by email at hello at hometown.is uh, or they can find me on Twitter at, at Yuba, uh, which is L-J-U-B-A. Awesome. All right, man. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation and wish you guys the best. Thanks so much. You have a great day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 